This is Holden Karnofsky doing an amateur read-through of my blog post, The Wicked Problem Experience. I've spent a lot of my career working on wicked problems, problems that are vaguely defined where there's no clear goal for exactly what I'm trying to do or how I'll know when or whether I've done it. In particular, minimal trust investigations, which means trying to understand some topic or argument myself with little reliance on what the experts think, Example topics would include what charity to donate to, whether civilization is declining, and whether AI could make this the most important century for humanity, and those are all things I've covered previously on the blog, tend to have this wicked quality, where I could spend my whole life learning about any subtopic of a subtopic of a subtopic, so learning about a topic is often mostly about deciding how deep I want to go and what to skip on each branch. And there aren't any stable rules for how to make that kind of decision, I'm constantly changing my mind about what the goal and scope of the project even is. This piece will narrate an example of what it's like to work on this kind of problem, and why I said in a previous piece that it is hard, taxing, exhausting, and a bit of a mental health gauntlet. My example is going to be from the 2007 edition of GiveWell. It's an adaptation from a private document that some other people who work on wicked problems have found cathartic and validating. It's particularly focused on what I call the hypothesis rearticulation part of investigating a topic. That's steps three and six in the process I talked about last week, learning by writing. And that's when I have a hypothesis about the topic I'm investigating. I realize it doesn't seem right and I need a new one. Most of the things I can come up with are either too strong, so it would take too much work to examine them satisfyingly, or too weak. They just aren't that interesting or worth investigating. And so I need to navigate that balance and find a new hypothesis that is A, coherent, B, important if true, and C, maybe something I can argue for. After this piece tries to give a sense for what the challenge is like, a future piece will give accumulated tips for navigating it. Next section, flashback to 2007 GiveWell. And first I'm going to give some general context on uh, where this took place for those unfamiliar with GiveWell. So in 2007, I co-founded an organization that recommends evidence-backed, cost-effective charities to help people do as much good as possible with their donations. When we started the project, uh, my co-founder Ellie and I, we initially asked charities to apply for $25,000 grants and to agree, as part of the process, that we could publish their application materials. This was our strategy for trying to find charities that could provide evidence about how much they were helping people per dollar. The example I'm going to give is from after we had collected information from charities and determined which ones we wanted to rank number one, which one, and we were now trying to write it all up for our website. Since then, GiveWell has evolved a great deal and is much better than the 2007 edition I'll be describing here. This example is reconstructed from my memory a long time later, so it's probably not literally accurate. So first, there's the initial too-strong hypothesis. Ellie, my co-founder at GiveWell, and I met this morning, and I was like, I'm going to write a page explaining what GiveWell's recommendations are and aren't. Basically, they aren't trying to evaluate every charity in the world. Instead, they're saying which ones are the most cost-effective. He nodded and was like, yeah, that's cool, that's helpful, write it. So now I'm sitting at my computer trying to write down what I just said in a way that an outsider can read. This is the hypothesis articulation phase. I write... GiveWell doesn't evaluate every charity in the world. Our goal is to save the most lives possible per dollar, not to create a complete ranking or catalog of charities. Accordingly, our research is oriented around identifying the single charity that can save the most lives per dollar spent, 
But then I'm thinking, hmm, did we identify the single charity that can save the most lives per dollar spent? Certainly not. For example, I have no idea how to compare these charities to cancer research organizations, which are out of scope. Let me try again. GiveWell does not evaluate every charity in the world. Our goal is to save the most lives possible per dollar, not to create a complete ranking or a catalog of charities. Accordingly, our research is oriented around identifying the single charity with the highest demonstrated lives saved per dollar spent, the charity that can prove rigorously that it saved the most, well, you can't prove it saved the most lives, the charity that can prove rigorously that, uh, so now I'm thinking, do any of our charities prove anything rigorously? Now I'm looking at the Population Services International page, which is our, our top charity at the time in 2007, and I'm just thinking, ugh. I mean, here are some quotes from our summary on the case for their impact. All of the reports we've seen are internal reports. That means the charity, not an external evaluator, conducted them. Neither the sales figures nor the survey results conclusively demonstrate an impact. It's possible that this charity simply uses its subsidized prices to outcompete more expensive sellers of similar materials and ends up reducing people's costs but not increasing their ownership or utilization of these materials. We cannot have as much confidence in our understanding of this charity as in our understanding of two other charities I name, whose activities are simpler and more straightforward. So those are quotes about our number one charity. We have less confidence in it than in our lower-ranked charities, but we ranked it higher anyway because it's more cost-effective. So that doesn't match what I was saying, but it's, it's also not the most cost-effective charity in the world. It's probably not even the most cost-effective charity we looked at. So now I'm hitting a wall, and I have no idea what I want to say here. And I have a little graphic trying to illustrate that I'm just frustrated and stuck. So now I'm re-articulating the hypothesis and going too weak. So I'm thinking, okay, screw this. I know what the problem was. I was writing based on wishful thinking. We haven't found the most cost-effective charity. We haven't found the most proven charity. Let's just lay it out what we actually did. No overselling, just the real situation. GiveWell doesn't evaluate every charity in the world because we didn't have time to do that this year. Instead, we made a completely arbitrary choice to focus on saving lives in Africa. We emailed 107 organizations that seemed relevant to this goal. 59 responded. We did a really quick first-round application process in which we asked them to provide evidence of their impact. We chose 12 finalists. We analyzed those further. We were most impressed with Population Services International. There is no reason to think that the best charities are the ones that did best in our process. There's significant reasons to think the opposite, that the best charities are exactly the ones that are not putting lots of time into a cold emailed application from an unfamiliar funder for $25,000, which is what we were doing in 2007 to get information about charities. Like every other donor in the world, we ended up making an arbitrary, largely aesthetic judgment that we were impressed with our number one charity. Readers who share our aesthetics may wish to donate similarly. They can also purchase photos of Ellie and Holden at the following link. Okay, look. Now I'm just thinking, this is what we've been working on for a year? Why would anyone want this? Why are we writing this up? I should keep writing this so it's just done. But ugh, the thought of finishing this website is almost as bad as the thought of not finishing it. So now I'm hitting a wall again. And so now I'm going to try re-articulating the hypothesis and assigning myself more work. So I gave up. I went to sleep. I thought about other stuff for a while. I went on a vision quest, whatever. I've now realized that we can put it this way. Our top charities are the ones with verifiable, demonstrated impact and room for more funding, 
and we rank them by estimated cost-effectiveness. Verifiable and demonstrated is something appealing we can say about our top charities and not about others, even though it's driven by the fact that they responded to our emails and others didn't. And then we rank the best charities within that. Great. So I'm sitting down to write this, but I'm kind of thinking to myself, is that really quite true? That the charities that participated in our process and did well, and the charities with verifiable demonstrated impact are the same set? I mean, it seems like it could be true. For years, we looked for charities that had evidence of impact and we couldn't find any. Now we have two to three. But wouldn't it be better if I could verify none of these charities that ignored us have a good evidence of impact just sitting around on their website? I mean, we definitely looked at a lot of websites before, but we gave up on it. We didn't scan the eligible charities comprehensively. Let me try to do that. So I take the list of charities that did not participate in round one. That's not all the charities in the world, but if none of them have a good impact section on their website, we've got a pretty plausible claim that the best stuff we saw in the application process is the best that is now publicly available for the eligible charities in the cause. This assumes that if one of the applicants had good stuff sitting around on their website, they would have sent it. I start looking at the websites. There are 48 charities, and in the first hour I get through six, verifying there's nothing good on any of those websites. This is looking good. In eight work hours, I'll be able to defend the claim I've decided to make. But, hmm, this water charity has some kind of map of all the wells they've built, and some references to academic literature arguing that wells save lives. Does that count as evidence of impact? I guess it depends on exactly what the academic literature establishes. Let's check out some of these papers. Hmm. A lot of these aren't papers per se, so much as big colorful reports with giant bibliographies. Well, I'll keep going through these, looking for the best evidence I can. And now I'm thinking this will never end. Did I just spend... Flash forward, did I just spend two weeks reading terrible papers about wells, iron supplementation, and community health workers? I've only gotten through 10 more charities, so I'm only about a third of the way through the list as a whole. I was supposed to be just writing up what I'd be found. I can't take a six-week detour. So, let's see. Maybe I'll try and sprint and get it done in a week. Well, a week later, now I'm only 60% through the whole list, and, and the end is not in sight. And so now I'm thinking this is garbage. What am I even doing anyway? I'm reading all this literature on wells and unilaterally deciding that it doesn't count as proof of impact the way that Population Services International surveys count as proof of impact. I'm the zillionth person to read these papers. Why are we creating a website out of these amateur judgments? Who will or should care what I think? I'm going to spend another who knows how long writing up this stupid page on what our recommendations do and don't mean, and then another I don't even want to think about it how long finishing up all the other pages we said we'd write, and then we'll put it online and literally no one will read it. Donors won't care. They'll keep going to charities that have lots of nice pictures. Global health professionals will just be like, well, this is amateur hour. This is just way out of whack. Every time I try to add enough meat to what we're doing that it's worth publishing at all, the timeline expands another two months, and we still aren't close to having a path to a quality product that will mean something to someone. Next section. What's going wrong here? I have a deep sense that I have something to say that is worth arguing for, but I don't actually know what I'm trying to say. I can express it in conversation to my co-founder, Ellie, but every time I start writing it down for a broad audience, I realize that Ellie and I had a lot of shared premises that won't be shared by others. Then I need to decide between arguing the premises, which is often a huge amount of extra work, weakening my case, which often leads to a depressing sense that I haven't done anything worthwhile, or somehow reframing the exercise, which is the right answer more often than one would think. 
It often feels like I know what I need to say, and now the work is just writing it down, but writing it down often reveals a lot of missing steps, and thus explodes into more tasks. And then, and it often involves just long periods of being totally stuck while I try to figure out whether there's some version of what I was trying to say that wouldn't have this property. I'm approaching a well-established literature with an idiosyncratic angle, which gives me constant imposter syndrome. On any given narrow point, there are a hundred people who have each a hundred times as much knowledge as I do. It's easy to lose sight of the fact that despite this, I have some sort of value added to offer. I just need to not overplay what this is. And often, I don't have a really crisp sense of what it is. Because of the idiosyncratic angle, I lack a helpful ecosystem of peer reviewers and mentors. There's nothing to stop me from sinking weeks into some impossible and ill-conceived version of my project that I could have avoided just by, like, rephrasing one of my sentences. The above give-well example has me trying to do extra work to establish a bunch of points that I ultimately just needed to sidestep, as you can see from the final product. This is not always the answer, but it can happen. I'm simultaneously trying to pose my question and answer it. This creates a dizzying feeling of constantly creating work for myself that was actually useless or skipping work that I needed to do and never knowing which I'm doing because I can't even tell you who's going to be reading this and what they're going to be looking for. There aren't any well-recognized standards I can make sure I'm meeting, and the scope of the question I'm trying to answer is so large that I generally have a creeping sense that I'm producing something way too shot through with guesswork and subjective judgment to actually cause anyone to change their mind. Now, all of these things are true, and they're all part of the picture, but nothing really changes the fact that I'm on my way to having and publishing an unusually thoughtful take on an important question. If I can keep my eye on that prize, avoid steps that don't help with it, though not to an extreme, it is good for me to have basic contextual knowledge, and keep reframing my arguments until I can capture without overstating what's new about what I'm actually writing up, I will create something valuable, both for my own learning and potentially for others. Now, valuable does not at all mean final. We're trying to push the conversation forward a step, not end it. One of the fun things about the GiveWell example I just gave is that the final product that came out at the end of that process was actually pretty bad. It had essentially nothing in common with the version of GiveWell that first started feeling satisfying to donors and moving serious money a few years later. No overlap in top charities, very little overlap in methodology. For me, a huge part of the challenge of working on this kind of problem is just continuing to come back to that. As I bounce between two weak hypotheses and two strong hypotheses, I need to keep re-aiming at something I can argue that's worth arguing, and remember that getting there is just one step in my and others' learning process. A future piece will go through some accumulated tips on pulling that off.